Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know what else we're supposed to do when we're here because it's over so fucking quickly. We should just laugh more. Just laugh more. I agree. I agree. Good. And you've got much more time to do it, which is good. You can start early. I wish someone had told me at 27, Oi, (laughs) cheer up. Stop being so sad. When I was 27, I didn't win an Oscar and I was really upset about it. And my dad was like, oh, for fuck's sake, like, get over it. You're 27, like loads more terrible shit's going to happen to you. Be more worried about that. This is literally nothing. (laughs) You know, I felt the same way going back home for Christmas. I said, you know, I'm not winning an Oscar this year. I don't get it. Now, I didn't make a film, but I still think back in the 90s, my favorite David Letterman joke every time they would have like Ebert and Siskel on, you know, they do like their Oscar preview. And David Letterman would say, God, you know what? It's so upsetting. Barbara Streisand once again snubbed. And Roger would say, well, she didn't make a picture that year. Like, doesn't matter. She got snubbed. She got snubbed once again. Barbara. And that was you at 27. And it's me today. Snubbed. Didn't make a film. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver. Welcome to Mini Questions Season 2. I've always loved Proust's questionnaire. It was originally a 19th century parlor game where players would ask each other 35 questions aimed at revealing the other player's true nature. It's just the scientific method, really. In asking different people the same set of questions, you can make observations about which truths appear to be universal. I love this discipline. And it made me wonder, what if these questions were just the jumping off point? 
What greater depths would be revealed if I asked these questions as conversation starters with thought leaders and trailblazers across all these different disciplines? So I adapted Proust's questionnaire and I wrote my own seven questions that I personally think are pertinent to a person's story. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place or experience has shaped you the most? What would be your last meal? And can you tell me something in your life that's grown out of a personal disaster? And I've gathered a group of really remarkable people, ones that I am honored and humbled to have had the chance to engage with. You may not hear their answers to all seven of these questions. We've whittled it down to which questions felt closest to their experience or the most surprising or created the most fertile ground to connect. My guest today on Mini Questions is Sam Fragoso. Sam is the host of Talk Easy Podcast, which currently has over 250 episodes, meaning he knew it was cool to do a podcast before all the rest of us. He's brilliant. His guests include musicians like Lord and Janelle Monet, writers like Nikki Giovanni, screen legends like Matthew McConaughey and Laura Dern. He's also a director, a writer, and I imagine an ideal dinner guest. He's a really interesting cat. I'm very happy that I met him, and I very much hope you enjoy this wonderful conversation. First question, when and where were you happiest? All these questions are so hard. You have to know that. I know. And someone like me who prepares a whole bunch. The first thing I thought of is this Norman Lear philosophy, and I'll explain this. When I moved to Los Angeles, I had started the show, it had been a year in, and he agreed to come on. And back when I started it, you have to understand, like, I don't come from money. My family's from Chicago. I don't know anybody. So I'm bringing this microphone, the one I'm talking into, to people's homes or offices or whatever. And it's all portable. So I go to his office and um, when you walk in, it's like a president or it's like someone who's met the president and he has met every president. And we do this interview and it goes great. And at the end of it, he says, and it's something I thought he hadn't said before, but it's something he often says, which is he says, Sam, it's taken every split second of my life, in this case, 97 years to get here, sitting across from you in this moment. And it's taken every second of your life to get to this conversation too. And I appreciate every second of that journey. Hope you do too. And so every day it has to be, or I try to make it the like effervescent moment, which is the one we're in. So I'm going to say, you and I, it's Tuesday morning. I'm talking to Minnie Driver on her show. The answer is you right now, for right now. Oh my goodness. That's a very good thing to have co-opted. And Norman Lear quote. He's extraordinary. Oh God, I sang at his birthday party once with a full jazz band and I came in on the wrong count and I just had to, I just had to fucking do it. And it was honestly the most excruciating performance of my entire life. I just, I never caught up with the band. I never found my way through it. It was so bad. And he just sat there with his hat on smiling and I could see in his eyes, he was like, just don't stop. Just keep going and you'll get to the end. And, and I did. <laughs> I can't believe you sang in a jazz band for Norman Lear. Oh my gosh. It, it was magnificent. 
he'd actually bought the record label I was signed to, which is why. And it was kind of this Hollywood affair. It was amazing. Even though I was terrible, it was still a total privilege to be terrible in front of him. I bet you were better than you think. I don't think I was. <laughs> but I do like that idea in the unhappiness of this year, which has been true for so many people, but honestly, particularly having lost my mum. I read your post about that. I was very moved by that. Well, you know, I wish I could have the conversation about one's post-death ruminations about your parent with my parent. Like the one person I want to discuss, like, oh my God, mom, it is so weird how all of this stuff has receded, all of the shit between us and all of this amazing stuff comes to the foreground. And the one person I want to talk about it with is her because she would roar with laughter. She would say, <laughs> isn't that amazing? Gosh, I wish I'd known that when I was alive. But it's, it's less the sound of one hand clapping than you'd think when a mother dies. She does involve herself in conversations with me, it feels like. When does that happen? Well, when I talk to her, I can't help but talk to her because it's been a lifetime of doing that. And I don't, I don't put any judgment on that whatsoever. And I feel like, because I did ask her, I was like, is this just my brain generating your voice? And she was like, well, you know, I don't have a brain anymore. So I'm just going to co-op yours. <laughs> so yeah, it is me, but it's your brain which is such a statement. It's weird though, your grief is a funny beast. I feel like my mom's co-opting my brain in real time. She doesn't need to be gone <laughs> for that to happen. <laughs> that is a really good point. And it's true, like moms just do do that. They do. Do you do that to your son? Well, you know what? I think about that because as our relationship is changing now that he's 13 and I can't bite him and booby him like the way that I want to or the way that I did, you know, he's this young man now. It's inappropriate and not cool. And he's very tolerant of my love. But I realize that I've got to temper it somewhat now. And it's hot, kind of heartbreaking. But he's so tolerant of me. And I do try not to, actually, that's not true. I hardly try at all to not be in his brain. But we have a weird shorthand, maybe because it was always just him and me. We still laugh a lot. So I think it's okay. Look, if you think it's okay and he says it's okay then it's probably okay. I do think about that, that idea that it is still a gift every split second of life. Because when you really see it go, when you really see it gone, I know how much we will want it back. So to say that, that this present moment and every split second, this is it. This is where I'm happiest, is being alive in this moment and actually having an awareness of that life. And that's the ambition. I mean, I think that it's impossible to feel that every day, every moment. Yeah. But I did think this morning when I was showering, I was getting dressed. And I was like, well, I'm doing a podcast with you. We don't even know each other so well. I mean, almost at all. So I don't know. I just love his way of saying it's taken everything in my life to get here. Mm. And that's true of all of us. It doesn't just mean two people on a microphone. It's true of any good thing that happens. It's taken everything else to get there. He always says the two most underrated words in the English language are over and next. And if there was a hammock, in the middle of those two words, that would be the best definition of living in the moment. Oh, wow, that's brilliant. That's so good. I like that hammock idea. I know. My mum always used to say that you should take the words why and should into the backyard and like dig a really big hole and bury them. <laughs> and then you would have the hammock over the pit where why and should was. Oh, I'm liking all of this. I'm gonna be thinking about this a lot. The things are connecting there. Good. <laughs> What person, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? My joke answer right away was, <laughs> um, I was just going to say Phantom Thread. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that film. Me too. 
oh, I would so get that. <laughs> you literally want someone to poison you and then make you better. Mm-hmm. God, that's dark. <laughs> I love it. But for the sake of not sounding um, like a psychotic person, so I'm, I'm going to say both of my parents offered different things. And I grew up with many divorces over and over. And both of them, beyond remaining amicable amongst each other, they both, I don't know, I guess my idea of love for my dad is because he didn't raise me day to day. He was there on the weekends. The thing that I always think about is he did some things that annoyed me. Yeah, 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 whatever. But anytime he said he was going to be there, he was there. I don't know if that's a tragically low bar, but... No, to be reliable, to have a sense of safety in the world. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think that's actually a great unsung tentpole in one's life, is being able to depend on someone. Yeah, he showed up and gave a shit. And quite honestly, that's basically the philosophy I've tried to take in my own life. Quincy Jones's father has this quote, and it's like, I read it every week and everyone on our team reads it, which is, um, be the labor great or small, do it well or not at all. And I think about this, about everything. It's exhausting, by the way. It's like I'm taking out the trash and it's like, just, just take it out and make sure the neighbors don't ruin their basket. You know, just do it right. And I should just like toss it sometimes because they're rude neighbors, but I'm not going to get into that. It's just everything in my life. I think about that. And that's what my dad and my mom both, they both did. They showed up even when they probably didn't want to. And they gave a shit. And that's that's love for me right now. Or it's Phantom Thread. By the way, I think it can be both. I think it's Phantom Thread for you. Oh, no. I mean, having people who, like, not so much my parents, really, but just the relationships that I had with men. It was always, it was like, ta-da, they showed up. Oh, my fucking God, where have they gone? <laughs> Wait, I was just getting settled in this. And then something would happen for it to disappear, which makes me then think, yeah, the Phantom Thread version that relationships are about manipulation. The idea of abandonment, then the opposite of that being somebody stays. But, oh God, this is getting really dark. I like your parents' version of the definition of love and the phantom thread. Say what you're going to say. Well, it's really just that idea that if enough people disappear, like of love relationships from the relationship, when you love them, eventually you think, oh, I have to do something to make them stay that I'm not doing. So then the phantom thread idea of trying to kill someone and then you healing them doesn't become quite such a strange idea. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, did you know that someone was going to leave before they left? Or was it always a surprise? Well, that's really what any best friend or shrink would tell you is in the rubble of your relationship to go back and look for the red flags. And invariably, I could see them afterwards. But at the time, no, no, real proper blindness in love. Me, just useless. It's hard for me to imagine this because you seem very observant. You're self-aware. And love was the leveler. I could never see it. It's the Achilles heel. Yeah, I could never see it in the thing. I could just never see it. And then afterwards, it's like, oh my God, how could I not see? Like this one guy who was one of the great loves of my life, like we were on this huge cliff walk, like a really dangerously close to a death drop of a cliff in Cornwall in England. Oh, oh literally, this is not a metaphor. You literally, we were on with a bunch of people and we were doing this walk. We were walking for like five miles to a restaurant and he'd sort of been running and he'd been running the path and then running backwards. And then suddenly he just didn't come back and he was gone and he was gone for like 40 minutes. And I thought he was dead. And my sister and my mother were like, he's definitely not dead. Like, and I was like, how do you know? And I got into this hysteria and both my mother and my sister were like, something's up because when he did reappear, he had a really 
terrible excuse about having to go off and pee somewhere private or something. And everybody knew something was up. Like everybody secretly knew that he'd gone off to call this woman who he was having a relationship with, which is exactly what he was doing. (laughs) Except me, who was like, no, he's dead. He's dead and gone. And I mean, I just am useless at reading the tea leaves. Well, I, I think you're being hard on yourself. Well, he was a total dick, so I mean, you know. I didn't like him either, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. You never liked him. You would have you would have told me to. I would have said, hey, Minnie, we just met, but it does not take 40 minutes to pee. It doesn't even take 40 minutes to poo. It doesn't even take 40 minutes to poo. Like, why he said pee and not poo? Also, if you're having an affair with someone, like, why would you try and sanitize anything anymore? Like, it was bananas. Not that good of a liar. A terrible liar. And I think he must have, on some level, been rolling his eyes that, like, when's she going to get it? <laughs> I never did get it. You know, I want my romantic partners to be good liars and, and good at breaking up. And try and kill you with soup. <laughs> you want to get phantom threaded. Look, if someone's going to be a really good and dastardly lover, you want them to phantom thread you. I, I want to be phantom threaded. <laughs> hey, you know what? I don't know. It's honest. It's fucked up, but it's honest. I love the phantom thread. I love that movie. I love how she pours the coffee. It makes me want to punch her. Oh, absolutely. You know, she pours the water really high on the ground. Oh. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday, and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. So in your life, can you tell me about something that has grown out of a personal disaster? When I was 20, which is not that long ago, it feels long now, it's been seven years. When I was 20, I decided I was going to leave school and I got this offer from a really tiny, tiny publishing company to write a book. The book was going to be called Talk Easy, Conversations with the Filmmakers of the Future or something like that. That's when I was doing that kind of interview writing work. And so I left school and I started writing this. And then by chance at a film festival, it was in Toronto, I met someone and they were offered a job they didn't want. And it was to be the creative director of this art house theater in San Francisco, where I went to school, incidentally, called the Roxy. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's called the Roxy Theater in San Francisco. It's one of the oldest art house theaters in the country. It's been around since the late 20s. It's definitely the oldest one in California. I'm pretty sure. And they needed a creative director. And I had done enough film work, I guess, to be in the conversation to get this job. Anyway, skip ahead. I get the job. Obviously, in hindsight, hiring a 20-year-old to save an 80-year-old institution, non-for-profit, with no programmatic experience, not the best idea. Not the best, like, junior creative director wearing, like, a bow tie. I didn't wear a bow tie, but you can, you get it. And so I do this job. And um, I'm not good at it. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm not. I'd never done it before. I'm programming movies and I'm helping manage a staff of 20, 30 people. And I'm bringing in people from around the country to come and do, you know, Q&As and all these things. And I'm doing the best I can, but I'm also 20 and then 21. And I'm 21, like in an apartment and trying to be like an adult. And it's a joke. I'm, I'm just not qualified. And by the end of this run of doing it for about eight months, I'm let go. Now, we said I left, but really it was, I was pretty much asked to leave. And I was kind of traumatized because I was a 21-year-old in a nonprofit working with other adults in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. The point is, I didn't do the job particularly well, but the one good thing that came from it is that every night I had to do these Q&As on stage, and you've done many Q&As. Q&As are terrible. Hmm. They're, they're usually horrible experiences where 
the audience says like 97 things and then they ask like, what was it like to work with Matt Damon in your case? Oh God, it's so true. That, uh, that's the question I think I've been asked more than do I want water with my meal? Yeah, which I'm sure you're not going to give a real answer to that. And, and why would you? These Q&As are terrible. But the good part of this is that for seven days a week, I had to moderate these conversations and I had to do these interviews over and over and over again. Some were great, some were bad in front of people, in front of like an audience that's like trying to be interested. And that's where Talk Easy was born, the show, because it came from me doing these Q&As on stage and kind of failing over and over and then slowly getting better. And so what was a traumatic experience of doing this job and failing publicly in front of people, not just the audience, but amongst the staff, amongst like board members, like imagine like a 21 year old trying to impress board members that have money. Like I, I, I was so out of my depths. And what came from that is this show. And so I'm grateful for that. But it was a personal disaster. And the thing about disaster, you know, when a tornado happens, you're not ever thinking, oh, but, you know, in three days, like we're going to have a great meal. You're not thinking about the meal. You don't even know there is going to be a meal. It's just a disaster. It's just a goddamn disaster. How do I get out of it? Mm -hmm. And so that was a very long winding story. I love that, though, because that's a proper it did not work out. It ended up with me getting canned. Like any which way you apparently splice that, it's not good. And yet that couldn't be further from the truth. Failure is such a weird word to me because there's so much gifting in it, invariably, which doesn't mean it's not agony. But again, two things can be true. How have you processed it? Because as an actor, it's one of the most agonizing jobs in this way of... Are you kidding? It's ongoing. Yeah, it's ongoing and it's literally you. It's someone saying, you're okay, you're not okay. It's literally someone going, not you. And then you think that asking why will make it better. But what happens is they actually tell you and then it's even more personal and dreadful because it really is you that they are saying no to. Hard no to you, Minnie. <laughs> so how do, how do you deal? No, you go crazy and you end up doing a podcast like this where you sound absolutely batshit the whole time. You know what? You start seeing it as being, as opposed to the, the awful idea of a snake eating its tail, it's the good version of that, which is, it is all the same. What you call failure is also success and vice versa. There are huge successes that I've had that didn't help me at all, didn't teach me. So I think it doesn't ever stop being hard, but now I really can laugh about it more. And part of why I like social media is before when you're a celebrity or an actor, there was no recourse. There was no way of rejoining shit that people would say about you. And now I love that there is, which makes it so much easier if there has been some kind of slight or something that is misunderstood. There's a way of actually interrogating and usually humorously putting that out there, which I like, to make fun of the stuff that is hard, to take the sting out of it, but also to get over it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think in my case of this story, when I was 20 getting the job, I didn't think, that's oh, kind of funny that they're giving this <laughs> to a 20 year old. Job. <laughs> well, because we have hubris and you're 20. Of course they'd give it to me. I thought, yeah, yeah, the San Francisco Chronicle, they should write the story about us. It's going to be great. And then in hindsight, I'm like, for one, that haircut's not good on me. <laughs> not for bad, bad. The outfit, even worse. The attitude, <laughs> somehow worse. I mean, they made no, it made no sense. Oh, I mean, no sense. I love that. I love that for you. you. You love the failure for me? I'd love that failure for you. And it's perfect because it gave you something really foundational. 
you know, if you can't remember how you got the good things, then you're a real dummy because <laughs> how you got the good things was what Norman said, that every moment and every second, it took all of it to get to that. And that required a lot of goofs and gaffes and failures and some have them more public than others, but we all have them in our lives. It doesn't matter what you do. Mm-hmm. But I do wish, this is the hope I have of getting older, that the gap between something good happening and making that recognition that it took all these things to get there, that that gap lessens and that I'm more appreciative more quickly. That is the hope. That is the hope. I think that does happen. I hope that happens for you. Has it happened for you? Totally, because it's like you realize the crazy expectations you put on yourself when you were young, or I know that I did, that in order to be happy, it has to look like this. And it's like, well, that may happen if you're lucky once, maybe twice. So stopping having that expectation, that's what sets you free. And then things that you didn't realize were going to make you happy, make you happy. So actually, it's in a huge expansiveness that happens with getting older that nobody talks about. What is the quality you like least about yourself? I think because I try to maximize every moment, every situation, and that's true not just on microphone, but in my life with friends and it's exhausting. I'm controlling and it works well as a podcast host. It works well as a filmmaker, but there's a part of me that has a really hard time being the passenger in any situation. To be fair, I have terrible motion sickness. So (laughs) that is true. I just don't, I don't let go easily. I'd like to figure that out. I'm also a big, I don't know where this comes from, I think childhood, but a big post game review kind of person. So I grew up playing sports and you know how after a basketball game happens or any sporting event, the commentators come on and they say, God, like LeBron James, like he really didn't do that well tonight. Well, That's like basically what I look forward to sometimes after a party is with my friends being like, can you believe that fucking idiot? Can I swear on here? (laughs) Yes, you can. Sometimes I get too negative. I'm reviewing every interaction and saying like, "Ugh, that person was kind of a schmuck or God, I can't believe that person married that person. So I'm, I'm overly critical and I'm controlling. Those are my answers. What do you think would would happen if you did let go? Do you have a sort of image of yourself in a kind of gauzy state being led by someone else and like finally just feeling sort of like, I don't know, Greer Garson in one of those movies from the 40s where she's just floating through a garden? Is that what letting go feels like to you or is it terrible? Yes, it feels like every 40s film for me. <laughs> it feels like every single moment of His Girl Friday when it's working. God, I love that film so much. I- <laughs> Oh. No, I don't know what that looks like. And I think if I had an image of who that looks like or what that looks like, I may be quicker to embrace letting go. But I don't know. What I know is what it's not, which is not being as anxious or not feeling like I have to control the lighting or the music at a thing. And that part, I would love to let go. I would love to let go. Do you have to like be on the dimmer switch? I don't have to be. But it's better if you are. You know, I'm just making some adjustments that I think we'll all agree on. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so funny. I've made films with big, big personalities, both male and female. And um, someone was like, you're being really, I think they said beta. I would say beta. You're being really beta, like on the set with this person. Like, how is that? Because you're really alpha. And I was like, well, here's the thing. What I'm good at is actually realizing that it's more important for someone to be alpha than it is for me to be alpha. And actually, the most alpha thing you can do in a situation where someone wants to be alpha is be beta. 
<laughs> so basically what I'm saying is, if you really needed to be on the dimmer switch, I would fucking let you. And I have let people be on the dimmer switch in movies where it might have been better if I didn't. <laughs> well, this sounds great for you. And I'm wondering how it's going to translate for me. It's really interesting, particularly when people have the expectation that you're going to stand up and, and go, fuck no, you can't do this. You can't do that. Stop it. I want to do that. I think it's just good to think about. It's like in the next moment where you're really wanting to be on the dimmer switch, if you go, well, maybe if I let them be on it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. I'm convinced. Next question. <laughs> no, no, no. What I was thinking about is you said something that triggered a whole bunch of memories, which is I have let other people we've really taken this metaphor very far, but move the dimmer switch up and down. And what happens is if they're used to you controlling the lighting, whatever, the plans, when you're not, there's almost like a paralysis that happens, at least amongst my pals. So I have to let go, though. I have to just let it be. I think it's kind of interesting just doing something differently. Maybe it is this past two years of just going, well, what's the fucking worst that can happen? It's all happening. So just to see what that looks like. And if it doesn't work out, that's actually also fine. When did you figure that out, that you needed to sometimes take a step back for the other person to step into their element? Honestly, on a set with when my son was very small with an actor who was really, they were a lot. Like it was hardcore, like their process was a lot, the way that they were on set was a lot. And this whole idea of going, if I sort of fight for what it is I want to do here and how I want to do it, it's going to cause so much trouble. And I had a panic going, well, how am I going to do my job if I don't get to do it like I need to? But if I do it like I need to, it's going to piss this woman off. And I then realized that it would actually be really interesting to go, they clearly need it. They need it more. And what if it's a higher degree of difficulty and it's actually more interesting if I try and figure out how to do my shit without doing what I normally do and asking for the things that I normally need? What if I just tried that? Because I could really see that she was looking for something to hang her stuff on and it could very easily have been me. It did feel like being a superhero or some form of like judo. Like you've cracked the code of something. Kind of. Like it took all that energy, all that expectation that she was going to have a big fight with me and just didn't do anything except like allow her to get everything that she needed. And I didn't feel smug. It was pretty cool, actually. I feel like having a kid. I think it was probably Henry. Yeah. It probably was that. It was like, I'm making milk and like feeding my baby. If you need to do what you need to do, go ahead. I'll just be over here making milk. <laughs> that is the part of parent that I, I'm looking forward to, not the milk part, but um, just, I don't know, something about it feels deeply uh, humbling and probably in a good way. Yeah. I see those kids with their parents. They don't really care about their parents. No. And they don't care that you didn't win an Oscar at 27. No, they really don't. They don't care about any of the stuff that we think we care about. Like, they just don't. There's such a relief in that because you actually get to be the most unadulterated version of yourself because they don't know what your best qualities are. They just want food and love and Peppa Pig. What's that? Oh, you'll find out. Peppa Pig will rule your life one day. <laughs> Sam, it's a cartoon. You sound like you just joined a cult. <laughs> When you've watched every, every episode of Peppa Pig, it's sort of like you have joined a cult. <laughs> Poor sign cult. Check it out. Just Google Peppa Pig and watch a little episode. It's an English cartoon. I absolutely will not. <laughs> Hello. 
Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Rowland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What person, place, or experience has most altered your life? 
When I was 15, I moved to California from Chicago. It sounded like I made the move. I was moved. People broke up. I moved. Really strange to go to a high school and have to meet 3,000 new kids. And I did the best I could. But honestly, for the majority of my sophomore year of high school, I would spend lunch in the library watching old Ebert and Siskel videos as they reviewed movies from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Then I would watch them on the late night shows and I would obsess over these tapes because at the time I was a film critic. I was writing all these reviews on the weekends and in that lunchtime I would immerse myself in these two middle-aged guys in part because I didn't have friends. At the end of high school, as I continued writing, I went to a festival called Ebert Fest. Roger created it. It's down in Champaign and Again, I'm from Chicago, so there's added significance. And my father and I went. At this point, Roger had a cancer where he couldn't speak anymore. But at the end of the weekend, he was signing everyone's book. And I was like, I don't really want to do this. I really want to go home. But my dad said, look, we're not going until you go up to him. So I went up to him. I gave him my little business card that had a sad blog domain where I wrote all these reviews in an email. And I wrote a little note on the back and, and he signed the book. And we went on. And at the end of my junior year on lunch break, I remember sitting in my car and I get an email from him and it says, Dear Sam, I read your stuff. It sounds good. You can be a writer, film critic or otherwise. But by the way, I wouldn't include your age on the website in these times. Who knows? And that was it. And that note, you know, at 17, 18, when you come from where I've come from, that changed everything. It basically said, give it a go. And if you don't, you know, you're a real idiot. So I gave it a go. I think it's so amazing that idea of incidental mentorship. I think about the things that, that people have said to me, things that were said in passing that had exactly what you just said. You were 17 sitting in your car, you received this email and it actually changed your life. And I guarantee he was not thinking about that when he wrote it. He was just, oh, that kid. Oh, I listened to a couple of his things. That was just him being a good, just being a good person. It's amazing, like that kind of relay. He didn't know that he was handing you a baton, but he was. And I love that. It's a remarkable thing. And it's something I think about all the time because you and I are talking on microphones in a fairly charmed existence. And if you don't have gratitude and if you don't try to pay that forward in some way, even if it's just an email, an incidental mentorship, it took a moment for him. It took him less than three minutes. Imagine that. You change someone's life in three minutes. The doors swing open. I like that there's magic in the things that one says that you don't know that you were meaningful. It's like Norman Lear. Norman Lear laughing and looking so kindly at me, just going, just get to the end of the song. It totally blows, but just get to the end and it's going to be done. Like, that's really good advice. And that was just in a look. <laughs> I know I've been changed by a lot of people who don't know that they help me. That's for sure. So we must do it ourselves, incidentally, if you're interested in people. At least for me, Talk Easy is literally a show about other people. I think being preoccupied with other people is, it's a worthwhile venture. I've never really learned anything from talking <laughs> myself. Maybe we share that. Listening to other people's thoughts about the world and what they think is such a great respite from being in the echo chamber of my own brain, not being able to answer questions. I'd much rather ask people questions and get them to answer them. And then I can go, oh God, yeah. Mm -hmm. God. And then add that into whatever my four o'clock in the morning echoey head is saying. I think you're right. I've done 
almost 300 episodes of the show. God, wow. It's so impressive. Like, that's a lot of talking. Well, I started when I was uh, 21. I like specific questions, like all of the kind of like speculative bollocks that goes on and on being interviewed for years and years when you're 100. You really appreciate the brevity of what did you have for breakfast? Ah, that I can answer. Well, when you come on Talk Easy, yes, I'll ask my specific questions. Yes. Good. And I'll try not to get too, uh, well, we'll get existential. It's impossible not to. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I've realized it is good to talk about these specific things because I do think they lean into other stuff. Mm-hmm. I think they're big enough questions that they balloon into other things. So that we see the thing is what's revealing about it. The level of interrogation that is maybe interesting to one person is scary and toxic to another and will actually reveal stuff that they don't want to be revealed. Yes. Largely, people want to keep their heads in the sand. And I know that because I am a fucking ostrich. (laughs) You know, about a lot of things, part of this show was like, no, you have to face it. You have to face these hard questions. You have to. I have to. It's funny. I always say that about you. You're really like an ostrich. (laughs) Really? Um, I think that emotional interrogation is utterly terrifying for most people. Because it's a house of cards, like literally and figuratively. It is a house of cards, just keeping everything together with the debt, the payments, the social constructs, the parenting, the professional success, the love and the sex. We barely hold it together most of the time. And it doesn't take an enormous amount, which is why I think people just can't fathom it. I kind of admire that you have seven that you hit as opposed to every week. I feel like I have to like reinvent the wheel. Does the person, though, when you're doing your podcast, doesn't the person help you reinvent the wheel a bit themselves because they're either super verbose or they're really not and recalcitrant and you have to pull it out of them? I never say recalcitrant. (laughs) I love that word. It's my favorite word. Everything about me feels recalcitrant right now except doing this podcast. I know. I I can feel some of it through you in the Zoom. I have this quality. It's I unfortunately absorb whatever the other person feels. Oh, my goodness. You're a Zoom empath. What a nightmare for you. I'm a normal empath. Even Zoom, it's not broken. (laughs) It's not (laughs) broken. You are so amazing. You really are. It is an absolute pleasure to have talked to you. And I can't wait to come on your podcast. Minnie Driver, thank you very much. You can hear Sam's podcast, Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, every Sunday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about his work and view the show's library of over 250 episodes, visit talkeasypod.com. Coming up soon, you can hear episodes with Stacey Abrams, Margaret Atwood, and many more. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoy. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Mini Driver. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me, Mini Driver. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim, at WKPR, Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver.
Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.